Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This verse was given to me by a friend who has since passed away. She knew the importance of slowing down and taking time to enjoy all the little things we take for granted. The verse was on a slip of paper from a daily calendar, and under the verse it said, in order to be still, you have to be still. It sounds so simple, but it's actually hard to do. Everyday life is so hectic, we frequently wake up and hit the ground running. There are errands to run, emails to answer, Facebook to check. This verse reminds me to slow down and connect with God and look for His guidance in all things. It reminds me that my important things are secondary to time spent with God. And when I spend time with God, I find there is always enough time to get everything else done. What a great morning already. Uh, got to preach in the 9 o'clock service. I want to tell you how grateful I am for air conditioning in here. It was hot up in there, let me tell you. Uh, maybe my fiery sermon. did. A, uh, I'll try to tone it down a little bit this morning. Um, it's great to be with you all here at Bellevue Press. Um, I count this as one of my many church homes around the Northwest. As president of Whitworth University, I get to be in a lot of congregations. Um, this is by far my favorite. <laughs> I said that for Scott, who's watching. Um, uh, but we, we share a long, deep relationship with Bell Press at Whitworth. Whitworth's mission, just very briefly, is to provide its students an education of mind and heart, equipping our graduates to honor God, to follow Christ, and to serve humanity. And in that way, and in those ways, Bell Press and Whitworth University share a mission— we are, in some respects, the lighthouses in our communities that shed and shine the light of Christ as we prepare and equip people to share God's love in a hurting community. I want to thank you for the partnership that this church has with our university. I see some current students, some alumni, some parents. Uh, Scott, as you know, Scott Dudley serves as a trustee of the university. Uh, I thank you at the outset this morning for the important partnership that we have together. Thank you for that. Let us pray together this morning. Dear Lord, your word is the source of light in our lives, and through it, you give light to our souls. Pour out on us, God, a spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened to know your truth and your way. Thank you this morning for Gretchen, for the ways that she has already ministered to us by reminding us to be still in you. May we be obedient to that call, dear Lord, for it is in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. Well, our verse this morning comes from the 46th Psalm, and as Gretchen read it to us. We're reminded that Psalm 4610 reads this, and this is the Lord speaking. God says, be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted on the earth. Be still. Be still, the Lord asks of us. 
Well, if there's any word or phrase that would decidedly not describe my life, or perhaps others in this room or in our society, it is the words being still. Rather, busyness would be a more apt description of our lives. Or in my own life, perhaps frenetic activity would be the way to describe my daily existence. Who's with me on that one? Okay. For decades, social scientists have been measuring the ways that Americans spend their time, their days. And what hasn't changed is that we all still face a 24-hour clock. There's only 24 hours in our day. But Americans have been allocating those hours differently across time. For example, according to the most recent study from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, adults in this country spend more time working, less time sleeping, more time connected to technology, and less time engaged in traditional leisure activities than ever before. The Gallup organization recently reported that the average work week for Americans has increased by a full work day since the 1970s when Gallup started keeping statistics on this. Americans today work an average of 47 hours per week. 50% of us log more than 50 hours per week, and a quarter of working Americans log more than 60 hours of work in a week. And of course, we know that many of us are employed part-time, and we spend a lot of our time moving from one workplace to the next, all in an effort to make ends meet. Compared to our global neighbors, Americans work more than any other citizens in the world. In fact, Americans work a full three weeks more per year than our Japanese counterparts. We work six and a half more work weeks per year than our British friends. And get this, we work nearly 13 weeks more per year than, guess who? The French. Insert French joke here. Perhaps it's not surprising then to learn that the life expectancy in all three of those countries, and indeed in 30 industrialized countries, is higher than it is in the United States. Now, as I'm talking about work, I should stop here and recognize that work is a sacred activity, and that many of us feel that our work is, uh, we work in obedience to God's call on our lives. Work is not evil, in fact, just to the contrary, and our country wouldn't be what it is if it weren't for the hardworking, industrious, and productive workers that it employs. But in a 24-hour day, the more we work, the less time we have for other activities like leisure and contemplation or stillness. So these are trade-offs that we make during our week. And of course, we can't think about work without also thinking about how we work today compared to the way we worked in years past. Technology and the connectivity that it brings have perhaps changed the way we work more than any other force in this country since the assembly line. For example, most professional jobs and indeed many jobs in the trades require the use of email. Email can often increase the speed with which we receive and transmit information. That's a good thing. It increases 
productivity, but email, importantly, has blurred the lines between what Americans used to think is their work life and their non-work lives. In a recent survey of email users, nearly a quarter of Americans report that they are expected to respond to work email even when they're not at work. 50% check email regularly on the weekends. 46% check work email even when they've called in sick. And get this, a third of us check email when we're on vacation. And in the age of social media, in addition to checking in with our bosses and our coworkers, we now find ourselves glued to our mobile devices, reading about the fascinating lives of our friends and our families and our favorite celebrities. And in this, uh, interestingly, we're kind of behind the curve. According to a recent survey, people in the U.S. check their social media accounts 17 times per day. But in countries like Argentina, Thailand, Mexico, and South Africa, people in those countries check their social media accounts at least 40 times per day. Are you kidding me? Seriously? How popular can you really be? And get this, Americans spend a whopping 4.7 hours per day on their cell phones and their other mobile devices. Waiting in line at the stoplight, killing time in the grocery aisle, perhaps dangerously while driving, and in other social settings. I was in a restaurant a few weeks ago, and I noticed a family of five sitting in the corner of the restaurant. Their food had not arrived yet. And what I noticed was that all five members of the family, two parents, what looked like to be two teenagers and a young daughter, they all had their heads down, furiously looking at something on their cell phones, not talking about the activities of the day or the week or what was going on at home or school. Now, I see a few heads nodding. Certainly those would not be our families. I'm embarrassed to tell you this morning that it was in fact my family that I noticed that was doing those things in the corner of the restaurant. Another trend regarding technology is the way we access it. Right before going to bed and right after waking up. According to nearly 80% of us, the first thing that we do when we wake up in the morning is check our mobile device. 23% of teenagers report waking up multiple times during their sleep at night just to check their social media accounts. I could cite similar statistics that point to Americans getting fewer hours of sleep than ever before. I could educate you on how our children have less hours of unstructured playtime, substituting instead for more scheduled activities like multiple sports teams and lessons and uh, appoint multiple appointments during a busy day. Psychologists, by the way, worry that we're raising a generation of kids who don't know how not to be busy with activities or to be connected with technology, perhaps stifling things like cognitive and social, emotional, and creative skills. And finally, 
as proof that all of these factors that compete for our attention, that create this kind of noise and busyness and distraction in our lives, can pull us away from what really matters. And this begins to get at the verse we're looking at in Psalm 46. The Barna Group recently reported that although the Bible is the most ubiquitous book in America, with more than four Bibles per U.S. household, only 26% of Americans read their Bibles regularly. 60% report that they read their Bible four or fewer times per year. And my guess is that those numbers are a little bit inflated. They probably overstate the ways in which Americans trust and turn to Scripture to balance all the other inputs in our lives. So friends, this morning I ask you this. Could the busyness in our lives, no matter the source, account for the record number of us who are reporting chronic anxiety, being stressed out, being frustrated because we can't find the resources that allow us to manage the frenetic activity in our lives? Is it possible that all of the demands on our time that have found their way into our already crowded lives are pulling us away from that sacred stillness that God calls us to in Psalm 46? Well, in addition to all of the obvious reasons why God is calling us to find stillness in Him, this morning I want to focus on at least two Two reasons why holy, sacred stillness is something we should all be seeking to increase in our lives. First, being still, according to Psalm 46, is a necessary ingredient to seeking refuge. Being still is a necessary ingredient to seeking refuge. Our verse this morning is just one verse of an 11-verse psalm. Psalm 46 begins this way in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then the chapter ends in verse 11 with this concluding verse. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. From what do we need to find refuge? Well, the psalmist had a few things to point out. In Psalm 46, the psalmist mentions things like a changing earth, natural disasters, geopolitical violence, unceasing strife. These things ring a bell? From the frantic schedules and responsibilities we keep, often things of our own choosing, to the things that are outside of our immediate control, like sickness and violence and financial ruin, mental illness, scary uncertainty, keeping up appearances on social media. God knows that these are things in our lives that can create fear and can create anxiety and loss. They are things in our lives, friends, that cause us from time to time to question our faith, to question our true identities, and to question the nature of the God that we worship. But God, in His grace, invites us to sail into His safe harbor, a hiding place of both refuge and strength, a place where we can both 
reorder and recenter our lives and be reminded of who is really in control and what can seem like our out of control experience. In Psalm 46 and indeed throughout Scripture, God reminds us that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God alone is the source of our tranquility and our peace and our comfort. And all we need is to create some space in our lives, some stillness, some quiet, and he promises to enter in. He will seek us out as he promised. God desires us to allow him to push out all of that other clutter and junk that tend to distract and scream into our ears and into our lives and that keep us on this frenetic pace. Friends, the Lord is our refuge. He invites us to sail into the harbor he creates in our lives to meet him there. Second, being still is required of us in order to seek both the mind and hear the voice of God. It is required of us to seek God and to hear his voice. If work and technology and getting from one appointment to the next or responsibility, if these are the things that are causing us to push God out of our lives and bring in all this noise, then how can we be reminded of God's presence in our lives? How will we hear his voice in our craziness? And how will we know it's his voice that we're listening to? In 1 Kings chapter 19, we read that God communicated with his prophet Elijah, not in these magnificent and extraordinary ways that we might expect from the creator of the universe, not in wind or fire or earthquake. But God chooses to speak to his prophet Elijah in what? In a still, small voice. If God speaks to us, his people, in still, small whispers, and if all of the distractions of the world are screaming into our ears for attention, how will we hear him if not for creating these intentional spaces in our lives, finding those safe, calm harbors, finding stillness and quiet in our lives. Jesus himself models this for us, does he not? We see time and time in Scripture Jesus finding still, quiet spots to encounter his Father. Jesus retreats to the desert. Jesus takes his disciples away from the crowds and up to the mountains. Jesus seeks quiet and stillness in the garden. You see, Jesus knew that in order to hear his father's voice, he had to create an environment that allowed him to do so. Now, friends, confessionally, this sermon is long on diagnosis and exhortation and short on prescription. This was a challenging message for me to bring this morning. I wish my own life was a better example for you, and then I might be able to speak with some authority on practical ways that we can find that stillness and that quiet in our lives, where we can seek refuge. But like many of you, I feel more often like a slave than a master. 
to all of the noises and busyness and clutter and distractions in my life that keep me from creating those spaces where God can meet me. So perhaps together today, this morning, God is speaking to you. He's asking you to think about ways to create those special places in your life. We can perhaps commit together this morning to giving these things to God in faithful prayer, in asking our friends and our loved ones and the people we hang out with to hold us accountable and to talk about ways that we find might be successful strategies to create that stillness in our lives. Maybe we need to focus on the spiritual disciplines. Maybe we need to be more intentional about creating space in our lives for prayer and Bible study and devotion. Maybe we need to recommit ourselves to finding those places in nature that we know God meets us there. For some of us, that still quiet occurs in exercise. Maybe when we're out running on the road or on our treadmill or doing whatever it is we do to get our heart rates up and break a sweat, maybe God can meet us in those times as well. I know your pastor is a runner, and I, he's told me he gets a few sermon ideas when he's on the road running. Maybe we need to take technolo- technology Sabbaths. We need to turn off the mobile devices. We need those things not to be buzzing in our pockets. Uh, these are the kinds of things we need to be exploring together because without them and without our intentionality, we know that the world will find ways to distract us and to call us away from those still, calm waters. And here's the promise, friends. The promise is that the Lord will meet us there. The Lord wants to meet us there. He has lots to share with us. We are on a journey with him, and he wants to have that daily fellowship. We just need to live up to our end of the bargain and create spaces for him to meet us. Let us pray together. God, we take your promises to heart. You claim to be our refuge and our strength. You promise to speak to us in our stillness. We want more than anything in the world to hear your still, small voice in our lives. Through your grace, Lord, help us to reorder our lives in ways that affirm our identities in you, because we love you. It is in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.